Hey there, it's Pastor Evan here. Welcome to Unpacked. This is a new series, Unpacking Life as a Messy Human. We're exploring the soul and the strength that comes from the journey of trying to live life authentically. We hope you find it helpful and that you can see yourself in the conversations, the stories, and the interviews. Have a listen and subscribe. Hey, welcome to Unpacked. I'm kind of excited about today. Me too. It was one of the first conversations we had, just the two of us. Just the two of us talking about just such a fun and exciting topic. People are so into this topic. I think so too. Everybody loves it. Change. Change. Don't you just love change? (laughs) I'm sure some people do love change. No, seriously, we're going to talk about a, a whole gamut of different things from how some people change via their heart. Some people change via their mind, and both those things kind of need to work together a little bit to make change work. Uh, We're going to talk about how we're made for change, but we're also designed to resist it. Yeah, the tension in that. And then we also tell a little bit about our own default modes and change and how we've learned about them and learned to observe them. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, hey, we're glad you decided to join us. Hey, make sure that you like and subscribe, maybe even leave us a review. Mostly, we hope you enjoy the conversation and it helps you to grow. Okay, well, hey, I am super excited about today, and mostly uh, because we're trying something new, and I like trying new things, even though uh, I feel a little bit nervous whether this is going to work or not. Yeah, me too. So here's what's different. Tara and I are in the same room, for starters, and it's just going to be the two of us talking a little bit today about some of the things we've been learning and just some general observations we have about kind of what's going on in our world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something happened, uh, you know, a year and some ago that kind of has re has altered the way that we see life, I think. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean and what does it look like to go through a process of change and not just like corporate church change, but like more internal personal change. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting. Not everything has to be about the pandemic, but man, it's brought on a lot of revealing things in my life of how I deal and cope with change. Yeah. Yeah. These kind of things, they have a great way of shedding light in the kind of the darker spots that we worry about or that we don't usually want to address. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say in this last year, anxiety, you know, all these, all these, there's so much fear of the unknown. All of that stuff is kind of very prevalent. And, and, and I think that it shows up not just in the organizations. Like obviously at Lakeridge, we've had some, we had to make some adjustments. <laughs> you know, for example, we're doing a podcast now and we weren't doing a podcast last year at this time. And, you know, in the meantime, I've become an internet sensation, you know, and so, you know. Naturally. Yeah, like 30 or 40 people are logging on to, to see me <laughs> preach on Sunday morning, which is like pretty impressive, you know, changing the world, you know. Mm-hmm. 30 people at a time. But then uh, even so in our own lives, right? Like how do we do life together when we're living all in the same house all the time? What does it look like to make choices about our future? 
And I actually do think that this last year has changed that for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. whether it's the extra time at home or whatever that's looked like. It's caused people to ask some good questions of their own life, where they are at now and do some reevaluating, but then also thinking about where do we, where do I want to go in my life from here forward? And uh, I know for me, that's been the case a little bit more so in like actually feeling a little bit more confident in what I'm doing, but then also I think some things I was willing to kind of let go of a year and a half ago that were like, they were important, but I was tired. I wasn't sure if I wanted to address those things. And now all of a sudden I'm like, some of my values, which we're going to talk a little bit about are coming to the surface, right? Like we're like, no, actually my values on this topic or that topic or whatever are starting to bug me a little bit more and kind of going, no, you can't let this go. Yeah. That's really interesting. I was just thinking when you're talking about it too, like, there's so many different life changes that have happened even while we've been in the pandemic. Cause it's not like you get to choose change all the time, but for Ryan and I, like we brought home a baby in the pandemic. So I became a mom and also experienced a pandemic at the same time and life continued on. And that was, yeah, it just all of that change all at once. So sometimes I find myself going, I don't actually know what's the pandemic and what's like just new parent or what new roles have I experienced that are revealing things in me that I didn't have before. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like you got a baby in this last year. Yeah. <laughs> or year and a bit. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say that's an interesting thing is that sometimes we choose change. Mm-hmm. Like you did know that you were adopting and yeah. you were going to get this guy. And, and some things we don't change, like the pandemic. We don't have control over that. Mm-hmm. And we have to figure out how we're going to navigate all of those kinds of things. And I would say even the things that we choose, we don't always get to know how we're really going to feel about it. Mm-hmm. I remember when we adopted the first first time we adopted too. I hate, I hate to say it like this is sounds, sounds so crass, crass but it's like, like this kid that we were adopting was like a concept. concept. Mm-hmm. It was it was hard to imagine, you know, Caroline who wasn't called Caroline and you know all of that stuff is like this is a real thing that's happening until I held her. Mm-hmm or probably until I got on the plane to go and get her. And then I realized I am not equipped to do this, (laughs) but here we go. Right. And change is coming. Mm -hmm. And that in our case, it was change. We chose Yeah. in our church, in our country in our, all these things recently, this has changed that we didn't choose. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that sometimes other people make choices that changes our change our world too. So how do we navigate that? What does that look like? What are the things that play out? So you're maybe you could talk about the default setting. Like you kind of have a good example of what it's like in change or in a crisis probably would be a better example of what's your default mode and why is that helpful to know? For starters, when things change, sometimes it's easy to identify what's changed because it's so obvious pandemic hits. But sometimes I think it's a little less obvious and it's helpful when we know what is my default and our defaults, I think, I think we get our default position by the value system that we have. So in my particular case, like we've talked about this in some of the other podcasts, right? Like the the default in my occupation is like, am I a pastor or am I a leader? And I'm asked to be both at different occasions, but they have very distinctively different rules and different values that are behind them. The leader part of me is this, hey, we're in a bind. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to try to gather the knowledge. Hopefully I have the abilities to, to lead out of this challenge. 
And there's definitely a part of that for pastors that fit in that as well, except pastors really are called to love God and love people. And so the value of, am I going to sit with, stand beside, advocate for the humans that are hurting? So am I going to come alongside them? Am I going to lead the organization? Mm -hmm. Which is it? And for me personally, I, I can do both, but I, I would rather care for people and probably the, the driving force behind my capacity to lead is that I believe it is caring for people. Mm. It's not about leading the great organization into the future. It's really about leading broken people, messy people, so that we can experience God as we journey together into the future. Do you think there are other elements of what people's default modes could be? Like, yeah. are there some other examples? Because that's a really good one. That's helpful to think about it. But are there other things that come to the surface? Yeah, like somebody grabs the bottle and starts drinking yeah. a lot. That's a default. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I think I think for sure. I think people have defaults like things start going crazy and people, their default is to make everything perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that we have a default to control everything. Right? I'm just going to take a hold of this thing. And we've talked about this a mm-hmm. little bit too, right? Like, what's your default? <laughs> Like control. I, I love some control. That's right. Yeah, some over planning. Some over planning. <laughs> and we have all experienced that. Okay, so but no, for real, right? Like that's one of those things is that we want to we want to control it, even though I think deep down we know it's out of control. Mm-hmm. Somehow we find comfort in like I'm gonna write this down and I'm gonna figure this out in my head and I'm gonna do all of these kinds of things and it's like. In, an, in a way, it's helpful because it's the way your mechanism, your brain and your body tries to protect itself. But then also, I think there are moments when, when we default to the thing that we naturally do. We can miss the good things that God is doing, but the good, also the good things that others are doing around us that we just can't see. Mm-hmm. Because we're so focused on trying to control things or... Or whatever. I have definitely have a strong control button. There's been a few people that have told me, yeah, it feels like you might be trying to control this. Like actually more than a few people have told me that. <laughs> yeah, but it's helpful to know because there are actually signs for me when I'm in that mode that are helpful to pay attention to and either and others can point it out to me too. Either it helps you calm down or address the issue that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't see it, do we? Like that's not... This is why we need friends and community and other people around us to kind of go, hey, are you okay? Like, it really feels like you're holding on to this tightly. And are you holding on to it tightly for the right reason, right? And I, I think about that even when I, when I think about parenting, that to be a good parent means to actually hold our children loosely. If we do it well, that helps them to know that they're loved, that they're cared for, that they're supported if they fail, that they're all of those kinds of things. But if you're holding on so tightly, they never get a chance to experiment or, or practice or all of the things, you know, eat dirt and do the other things. And so I do think that's part of the challenge right now is that, you know, we as parents have come to believe, you know, this whole helicopter parent movement, right? That it's like, Loving our kids means protecting our kids from absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. And yet, when we start talking change management, like one of the very interesting things is that we as humans are hardwired to resist change. And so 
The holding tightly is the resisting change. Except the crazy little thing about those little guys <laughs> and girls is they're changing every day. Even when I look at Theo, right, this last year, yeah. like the kid learned how to talk and he, he's engaging mm -hmm. and using all these words and he is changing. And if you, if you become obsessed with him being what he was a year ago, how are you teaching him to count to 10 right. or do all these other things? And so these are like little simple things. And I would say as we get older, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. But even as in parenting, your job actually is to have your kids leave someday. Like yeah. you're trying to create a, an adult. Mm -hmm. We'll have tried and experienced enough things to know that even in the midst of their messy failures, that they will recover, that they, they're resilient and they can figure it out. Glennon Doyle says this thing about parenting. She talks about it a lot in, I think, her books, but she talks about how it's not about protecting them from falling or failing. It's about teaching them how they rise up after. Yeah. As, As an adult, adult that's, that's so helpful to be able to realize, realize like, no, my, no, my job isn't even to try and self-protect all the time. My, my job is to learn how to be resilient and continue yeah. to get up. And I think this is one of the things I would say, like when, when change comes, uh, what I notice is I'm, I can be resistant to change just like everybody else especially the things I really care about. Mm -hmm. Mostly I'm designed, I actually, I really like the experimentation of new things. It's kind of part of my personality. But when I am resisting change, often I don't know it. I don't recognize it. And so I need other people around me to go, wait, you look like you're just gripping onto that thing pretty tightly. And I give them a good answer. Well, that's because I love these people and you know, <laughs> this is how it is and all those kind of things. But I think oftentimes I've been like that. And when I step away from it just long enough, I can look at it and go, oh, actually, that was way more about me mm -hmm. than it was about that human or the organization or whatever. Is there a theme? Like when you're resistant to change, is there a theme around that? Yes. I would say, oh, that was a trick question. <laughs> Here, here's what I would say, because, because I, don't I don't like pain. pain. When I experience or feel like I'm being forced to change, I like to do that in my head and not my heart. So I think. So it's like deep down, I want to learn everything I can possibly about that thing. And I want to do that so that I don't have to feel it first. So change, I, th I think change is one of those interesting things. People change differently. Even when we think about our own personal lives, like when I think about how do we change an organization or change the direction of the church or some other thing, I am thinking really conceptually that actually some people experience change first and foremost through their head that makes their way to makes its way to their heart and then other people feel it through their heart they have an emotional reaction to something that we hope will migrate towards their head and both are really really important but there's tension in it it's and we can't it's not always that simple to just go oh, this is me think overthinking it right now because obviously change is coming and you know you can't just play it out that easily but it's probably actually that obvious and I'll add this I have my personality type and the way I probably have stories to back it up have led me to not trust my emotions. I am skeptical of my emotional life. And you probably wouldn't say that about yours. No, I would say I'm probably the opposite. I feel first. So I actually need help usually thinking through something or getting to the point where I can have it absorb up to go up into my head versus just my heart. It doesn't mean I'm not someone who's like going to emotionally run out and react to everything, but I'm going to feel it 
first and feel that there's a way forward. It may not always be right though, or rational. And that sometimes requires other people to help me see differently and see different pieces of the story. Yeah. And so, and, and that's, Literally the exact opposite of me. I, w- I would like to keep in my head so that I don't have to feel anything, in particular feel pain. So I can overthink things. And, you, you know, we've had this conversation, right? You've asked me, well, how do you feel about that? And I haven't got a hot clue. I'm like, no, no, that's not important right now. That's just going to cloud seeing this accurately. Right. And that's been part of what we've been talking about on the podcast earlier, where I'm trying to read and understand more about how emotions actually are good information and for my personality type that's been actually really helpful to kind of go oh no if I can pay attention to my emotions it's going to give me the information I need to make a wise choice or, or a thoughtful choice and so when it comes to change that can be one of those really really interesting mm-hmm. things in change management like language and even at Lake Ridge we've talked about this quite a few times and even in the last week it's come up that ultimately you know we only move forward at the speed of trust And when you think about that in an organization, it's like, okay, what do we do to continue to develop trust? And the pandemic has been hard for that because now people are, unless they're engaging me on Zoom or in other places, they're watching a pre-recorded video of me preaching a sermon where I'm guessing if I'm hitting the mark and connecting with where our people are at. Mm -hmm. Can you clarify like why trust is so important and why relationship is so important in change? Well, to me, they're, they're uniquely connected and they are connected to what's the most important thing, which is the heart. I can give somebody the benefit of the doubt when I know their story and I know what, where their values are, what really matters to them. Right? We all say stupid things, but the way we can be forgiving and caring and all those kind of things is when we know the story of the person we're talking to. And, and hopefully heard it all, not just the little bits and parts of it. But if you think about it, if, if we talk about an organization moving forward only at the speed of trust, and we take that into the human person, the individual, and we go, you can actually only change at the speed at which you trust yourself. So if, if you haven't done work at becoming self-aware, engaging friends who help to hopefully give you a clearer look at what you are about, then how do you make quality decisions to move forward? Whether that's to change your job, buy a new house, start a new relationship, all of that stuff. If you don't trust yourself, my guess would be, my assumption would be, you very likely will go a whole lot slower in that process. Lots of other things play into that. But I would say, if you're constantly second-guessing your own decisions... And how do you make the choice to go forward? I know that's been the case for me. I present really confident. You know, I've said this often. No, I think I actually really struggle with insecurity. And all fueled by my fear of pain. Right. And I think that's one of those things, like we were talking about before we pressed record. I think part of being a person of change is being a person who's reflective enough to know what you're afraid of. Yeah, your fears. And your fears will tell you where your values lies too, like where your values are. And so I do think that's one of the most interesting parts of it. It's like, how do we be authentic with what we really are afraid of? Yeah, that's fair. Well, and I think one of the things that's been helpful to me, because you said you're afraid of pain, but I would say for me, I probably fear rejection. So that slows me in change sometimes because my emotions are really loud, but I sometimes need to 
process them before I can feel confident to trust the direction and also that I'm going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. (laughs) And I need that reassurance in myself more than anybody else can give that to me. But naming the fears has also been really helpful. So knowing that that's like my deepest fear, then how do I navigate things and even pay attention to when I'm avoiding something because I'm being fearful of being rejected. And it doesn't even have to be by a person. It can be just like a circumstance can feel like a rejection. Yeah. And if you, if you even take that even further and you go, okay, so our brains are hardwired to resist change. Why? There's a fear of the unknown. <laughs> there, there is that fear that we just don't know. So you make a decision, will people reject you? If I make a decision, will it cause pain? And if I'm going to be really honest with myself, will it cause pain for me? Right. <laughs> even though I, I really want everybody to know how much I love them, mm-hmm. especially our listeners. But ultimately my big fears come around me experiencing pain. Mm -hmm. And if I am not aware of that, boy, you certainly, even just hearing myself say that, certainly sounds very selfish, doesn't it? I guess I don't hear it as selfish. I just, I think it's so helpful to see that. And I do think that there's, there's great wisdom in being able to name some of your fears, at least knowing them. It doesn't mean you have to tell the whole world, this is what I'm afraid of. But I think when we say those things to ourselves, First of all, you get to hear yourself. And I think there's less, your fears have less control when you, when you know what they are. So I would say part of being able to be a person of change is to be able to name fear. Doesn't mean make fear go away. It means name it so that you're aware that it's there. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that's the, one of the key things that we always have to pay attention to is what am I? How's my fear life and where's that at? In the church, this is one of those things, like oftentimes I'll find myself praying, God, give me peace. Mm -hmm. God, give me courage. God, give me wisdom. God, give me all those kind of things, right? And and just asking for those things so that I can lead well. When my motives are correct, which occasionally does happen, sometimes my motives are in the right place. (laughs) I ask God's, God's help for those things because those are the things that feel out of control for me right. at times, right? And so that's where my faith kind of contributes into that, mm-hmm. right? Even, even when you think about it, if you have a fear of being abandoned, if you make a bad choice or whatever, knowing that you're a child of God, a beloved child of God, can actually give you a confidence that it's like, no, actually, even if others reject me, mm-hmm. God doesn't. Yeah. And that can give you the courage to go through whatever deep water or difficult thing you have to do. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. Do you think most people know they're like are aware of their fears or does it take some while to uncover like the two ones we just named? We've done your fear of pain, my fear of rejection and abandonment. We've done a lot of work around those things. It's not new to us to be able to just say it. It wasn't like last week we were like, hey, I'm really worried about being rejected. Like it's taken me a long time to discover I really want to be loved, but more than my fear is that I want to, I don't want to be rejected. And that plays out everywhere. But how hard is it to uncover those things? Because I think we can, what I'm saying is we can name the simple things like, I don't want my kid to get hurt or people I love to be hurt. But when we're making big decisions or entering into some type of change that maybe we picked or didn't, naming those deeper fears can be work. I actually think that's why we need, we need community. And I would actually expand that out. I think that's why a lot of people come to see me. Because they want, they need help to think through something. 
And, and for many, they, they don't know what they're afraid of. But, and I've said this before, you know, I have to talk about, I have to talk about my emotions to find out how I feel. And when I can do that, it, feel, it does feel like some real clear things start to come to the surface for me. A counselor can do that. Really good uh, friendships can do that. Spouses can do that. And I, and I do think that's one of those ways is that ultimately we're looking for people we trust <laughs> to tell us the truth. I think that's one of those disservices is that oftentimes, you know, in friendships, we, we don't want to hurt each other so badly that we'll just nod our head and agree when really we're going, no, actually, that doesn't seem like you. Mm-hmm. And I think there are moments where, where that's something that we really need to consider about, well, who are the authentic friendships that I have? Mm-hmm. And, and my opinion would be that the authentic friendships you have are the ones that tell you the truth as kindly and in whatever way you need to hear it but they are the ones who tell you the the truth and then let you do what you're going to do yeah can accept whatever the outcome is if all of a sudden they tell you what they think you should do Mm -hmm. i don't know that's different too because i think what you're saying is like when someone's telling you the truth when a friend's telling you the truth they're doing it gently but they're also revealing something to you that maybe you can't see like you said someone points out to you it looks like you're trying to control something here what's that about it's in a loving way that they're pointing out a behavior that you have that they know is harmful telling you what to do doesn't work right and i i would say definitely i've had lots of people come in my office and say just tell me what to do Mm -hmm. and my response often is no because i don't have to live the consequences of that and so I'm not going to tell you what to do because I'll just become another person to blame. Mm-hmm. And, and so I do think that there, there is something to be said about that. I know one of the things Chris and I talk about a lot, it's like when we make a decision, we live into it. Because every decision you make that changes something comes with a hardship. Yeah, that's what was crossing my mind. If we're made to resist change, that's hard. I like the idea of living into it because I can, I can do that. I can buy into that. And then also I tell myself sometimes you can change your mind too, or you can make adjustments just because I am in a scenario. doesn't mean I'm committed to what I thought it should be or how it's playing out. You can admit you're, you're wrong Yeah. too. Like that you yeah. did it wrong, right? Like I, I think that's one of those interesting things, you know, even, even now in our culture, we have we got some hard things happening in our culture now. And I do think there comes a point where, Saying, you know what, I think I did this wrong goes a, a long ways towards building trust even. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things we don't, we, don't we don't think about very about often very is that change, is that change often, often is an indicator, is an indicator of, growth. of growth. And so, and so when you feel the desire, feel to, the desire to change something, change something move, on, move on, whatever that, might, whatever be, that might be, my hope would my be hope that it's be often, often the positive positive sign of growth growth. Mm -hmm. i think we can get into a rhythm where where we make changes because we we, we're running away from a failure failure. that we don't necessarily need to run away from yeah we feel overwhelmed so we 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 bolt yeah we we reinvent ourselves or we do all those kinds of things when when sometimes actually we're meant to stay and be reconciled there in that place not just with the humans around us, but with God, our community, all those other things too. 
But we live in a council culture in a lot of ways. And so it, it is kind of like, yeah, I really blew that. So I'm just going to move to another town and I'll figure yeah. it out the next place. And it's like, except the problem is you go with you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't learn the fears and all the things that have led you to sometimes poor decisions, you just take them to the next place with you. Mm-hmm. So how is God coming alongside of us so that we can grow and experience change and transformation in our life? And that can be hard work. For me, I have this like thing internally that happens to me when I'm presented with something I'm afraid of. I feel this like, oh no, I'm going to do that. Like I know when I'm like, <laughs> like and when you're talking about growth, I, it's often things that involve me growing or going outside of my comfort zone. And sometimes they're really big and sometimes they're really small. But I often inside of myself can feel, no, you're going to do that thing. Yeah. It's the right thing or it's the thing I need to do and I have to choose to grow in that, even though I'm really afraid of it, but I feel, I have a, a feeling that's like in my gut that's like, oh no, I need to do that. And that that's a good example, right? Where you're just like compelled. And this is why I think like part of what I like to talk to people about is, are you committed to being a growing person? If that's a value of yours, mm-hmm. then you have to be committed to change. I don't think people grow when it's stagnant. So this is what's kind of interesting. Like you think big, big church, like big C church and the pandemic comes along. What is going to happen to the church? Like big C, not just Lakeridge, but the church. I think we've come, we've come to a place in history and there have been plenty of them. This is not the first time mm-hmm. that pandemics, but other disasters and other difficult, hard things that people have to go through. This is not the first time. And every time it's shaped the church to find how people express God's love to the community. All of those kind of things. So recently, we, you know, we've been talking a lot about relaunching. You know, yeah. How are we going to relaunch Lakeridge? You know, what's it going to look like? What are the steps? What are the things we have to do? And it's funny because you know, I, I don't know which, who, which one of it was who said this, but it's like, well, actually, maybe we need to think more like, what does it look like for us to plant a church here, to replant a church? What is that going to look like? Relaunch has an impression that we're going to get back to normal. We're going to do relaunch all the things we were doing before. Mm-hmm. Except not all the things we were doing before were good then, nor will be appropriate now. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really think about that. How terrifying is it though? How scary? Yeah. Here's the fear. How fearful is it to say we're going to actually drop doing that thing? How scary is it to even think about or fearful is it to think that it's like, who's going to be here mm-hmm. when we come back? Mm-hmm. How will we learn to see the needs of our community differently post-pandemic? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, and we were even saying like, you know, we find out the news about things and both of us are like, I don't know if I want my life the way it was before. And that includes church and all of it. Like, I, it's an opportunity to reevaluate and we have had multiple times in the pandemic to do that, but it is, it feels like, okay, it could get really busy again. What does that mean? What does that look like? What, what even kind of relationships do I want? Cause there's a longing to be with people and in community again. And there's also like, maybe I don't set myself aside in order to say yes to so many things. Like what do no's look like in this new season? I think the, the pandemic has revealed the shallowness in some of our 
relationships. That doesn't mean we necessarily need to abandon those relationships, but it might mean we need to change what we talk about and how we talk about it. It's my deep relationships that's helped me to survive this last year and a bit. Me too. Right? It's it's, it's not been the shallow ones. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I don't even miss them. No. But that's a great question to be asking. What am I keeping and what am I letting go of? How do you think people become more adaptive to change? Do you think we can? Yeah. I think you become adaptive to change by failing and realizing that you can get up. Mm -hmm. That, That actually... You don't have to stay down there. Mm-hmm. So even when I think about that too, it's like even when we planted Lake Ridge, right? I remember we, you know, we, a bunch of us moved here and it was like, it was a fairly significant life commitment mm-hmm. to, to coming here. And I remember somebody saying, failure is not an option. <laughs> and in my, I was like, uh, yeah, it actually certainly is. It yeah. really is. A, it's an option. <laughs> and we did. We, we tried a whole bunch of different things. And failed at lots of them. Like lots of the ministry things we tried in this city, we failed at. Right? Like the block parties are a great example. I, I wanted to provide food for all the families at Lake Ridge to throw a block party of their own. I did my best sales pitch I could. Okay, everybody plan a date. You're going to throw a block party. Lake Ridge is going to buy the food for you. All those kind of things. And no one wanted to do it. And this idea, this great idea I had, failed. I'm over at the skating rink, uh, and I run into somebody in our community who runs the local M&M meets. And I was like, oh, man, I had this great idea. And I had arranged with him to give us a deal on this food. Oh, I had this great idea that people were going to throw a block party. None of them want to do it. And he goes, oh, man, that's really too bad. The city just asked me if I'd give out these discount cards for block parties they wanted to get going standing there and i i went well i got this money i budgeted so i guess why wouldn't i just give it to the community to throw block parties Hmm. and so we kind of worked out a deal and lake ridge provided like i don't know it was like 10 i think block party kits the first year and lake ridge bought all the food not one person from lake ridge threw a party But to this day, there are people that attend Lake Ridge that went to a block party and heard about Lake Ridge. And we didn't advertise or anything. But it was like this idea that now gets written about in books. Like it's actually this idea showed up in a few books that we were a church that was supporting block parties. It actually was a failure. So I, and I think it made us resilient. And, And it made me, it helped me to see that well, sometimes what I think is a failure is actually just a brand new opportunity to, to do something else. Not always, but in this case, it was the case. And so when we try different things at Lake Ridge or we try different things even in our life and we fail at them, I think it, I think it makes us resilient to realize, oh, no, we're okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm okay. I can, I can blow it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know for me, like the environment, it's a unique opportunity and environment to be in when you're allowed to fail and nobody freaks out. I'm sure a lot of people experience this in workplaces too. Like you're on a deadline, you have to, you're creating something. There's no room to have it not work. And if it doesn't work, that goes against your performance review. Like there's a lot of areas where there's a lot of pressure to not fail. And then all of a sudden when you are allowed to fail or things are not 
they don't have to go perfectly. As a perfectionist, <laughs> that is actually really freeing. It's really freeing to be able to be like, no, we're going to experiment. The other, the other, this dawned on me too is like, you never have to worry about getting a bad performance review because no. you know that I won't fill out the form. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, like, right? Like operating out of a place of safety, which I hope God provides for us always in our personal lives, but also in the church life, which I wouldn't say is true all the time in every church life, gives you the freedom to fail which also gives you total permission to go for it. And so when we think about making, you know, change management or choices or all those kind of things to kind of go, you know, we're going to go this way. And if it fails, then it fails. And we're going to want to be able to look back and say, did we do what we believed God wanted us to do? And that's where our value system kind of comes into it. And I think that it's true in the church, but it's also true in our personal lives, right? It's like, what are the values that you have? Because mm-hmm. they are dictating what choices you will make to change. And how you'll react to change when it happens without your choice. So if you have a value that you're going to be a growing human, then change you choose and change that is inflicted on you is opportunity to grow. Even though it's uncomfortable. I don't know how else change work. Growth doesn't work in a mm-hmm. comfortable environment. I, I'm not saying we need to like run around and always create chaos. I, don't, I wouldn't say growth always happens in chaos. Yeah, there's a distinction. Well, and I don't know if we've said this already, but about when we're under stress and our brains are in like a high anxious mode, we need to actually emotionally regulate in order to make our way through change. I would say that is one of those things, you know, we've, we've listened to this and heard this on several podcasts, right? That it's like, sometimes we get in stressful environment. We have to go all the way through the stress. What what do they call it? Oh, the, the the emotional, Oh no, the tunnel. You didn't like it. The emotional tunnel. (laughs) You have to complete the stress cycle is how they talk about. And I would say, say, when we're in those stress tunnels, tunnels, there are moments where we have to go. Nobody moves. Nobody gets hurt. Yeah. We're just going to ride this roller coaster to the end so that we can get out, you know, puke if we need to, <laughs> and then get back to what we need to, to grow. Mm-hmm. And th- this, maybe this is helpful. I think sometimes when we think about change, we, we think we just need to try harder. If I just try harder, it will get better. Except it's not a principle that really works that much. Unless you were just sitting on the couch the whole time. Yeah. And it is probably time to try, like get up and take a shower or whatever. Put pants on, you know, which, <laughs> you know, are optional. They've been optional the last year. Like, let's face it, okay? But but I would say that that there are definitely times when we do have to ask ourselves those questions of like, Is trying harder going to be the answer or do I need to stop? Mm. And I would say the reflective part of who we are, the soul part of who we are, needs us to stop sometimes. Stopping creates perspective. And hopefully in the stopping, we're, you know, you're talking to your friends 
about the change that's happening in your life. Hopefully you're talking to a counselor or a pastor. Hopefully you are taking some time to learn a little bit. Like the like guy did a little bit this, mm-hmm. you know, like I got to figure out these emotions things. If we don't reflect, I don't think we even know like, well, where are the areas of skill I need to grow in and learn about, figure out? It's interesting because it's not no action that no. you're taking. It's reflective and that's different. Because you mentioned reflection, um, even thinking about things differently, like what your example of the M&M meets story. Like there's a few elements of even how to be more adaptive to change, paying attention to how you normally would react. Because I don't know if you can truly just change how you would react. No, I think that, yeah, your reaction is your reaction usually. Yeah, and I think the more you pay attention to how you've re- you have reacted to things, mm-hmm. the more you can learn so that you react well the next time. It's so true. I don't find it externally as hard. I find it internally. Like I can be really judgmental of myself and highly critical of myself and would react more emotionally to things that are happening, that I feel are happening to me or feel out of control. Well, and I think there you've named it too. Knowing what your inner critic sounds like, Mm -hmm. probably a really important thing when it comes to thinking about making choices and change. Because your inner critic is screaming at you at different times in our life. So if you don't know your inner critic, what it sounds like, and even the themes that it talks about, everybody has an inner critic. Everybody. Some people have louder inner critics. But I think oftentimes the inner critic is saying the same thing. Same themes. Like one of my inner critics, which I've shared on the podcast before, is just don't feel like I'm intellectually as smart as other people mm-hmm. in the room. That is a critic. It's a lie. It's not true. And it says it often to me, and I listen to it often. Mm-hmm. We also have an inner voice that's calling us to something greater. That is actually somehow our soul is telling us that we're made for something more. Mm-hmm. That we're capable of something more. And I don't mean more like doing more, but being more. Mm-hmm. And we did say earlier part of being growing, changing, transformative people is having friendships, having a community of people around us that that aren't just always like us. Mm-hmm. I know we need to wrap this up, but it is the same thing as me processing everything in my brain and you processing everything in your heart and realizing, oh, I actually need each other. Mm-hmm. You need to ask me, well, how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. And I need to stumble through an answer. Mm-hmm. That somehow describes how I feel about that when I don't know. And the same thing is true for, true for me to say, well, you are way over feeling that. Mm-hmm. You need to think. Mm-hmm. And thinking about your feelings isn't always the right, like, <laughs> right? Like that's, yeah. like, you can say, oh, I think about this all the time. And you're like, no, no, I feel about this all the time is what's actually happening. And it's like, how do we do that? We need other people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an important distinction to be able to understand those those things. And also, you would never be like, you're over feeling. You would never say that to a feeler. <laughs> you wouldn't. You would be like, you would ask me a question. Yeah. That's what you would do to try and understand and help me to process. On a scale from <laughs> 1 to 10, 1 being all brain and 10 being <laughs> all heart, where are you? <laughs> Yeah, as soon as you say 12, then you're like, okay, well, I didn't even, that's off the scale that way, right? But it, it is really helpful to have other people to ask those questions around you and to notice when you're off the chart emotional 
about something and why, why is it like that? Or how here's, you know, you're really a rational thinker, which is what I appreciate is sometimes I need that. I need someone to just help me think through, okay, rationally, what's the steps to do this? Doesn't mean you're telling me what to do. It's just helping me figure out my own path forward. Yep. That's exactly it. And that's why we need each other. Mm -hmm. You know, not, not to tell each other we're being irrational, (laughs) but to say, "Mm, what about this? And it's true when it comes to relationships and some of those things, it's not as easy as A, B, C. Mm-hmm. Because relationships are, there's multiple people involved in those. Yeah. You're not the only one involved in the relationship. And that can be really hard. But that's how we grow. Yeah. Like, like it or not, the people you live with, the people you work with, they're actually the people that shape you the most. Okay. Well, is there a way to like sum it up? I don't Change is hard and it's necessary. And I think it's rooted in our value system. I think we need to make it one of our values that we are committed to changing, being changing, transforming, growing people. Then no matter whether change comes to us or we choose it, it's an opportunity to grow.